All right. I want to pick up and follow on from last week. We're pretty much staying in the same text, which is Ephesians 1. Uh, We're going to focus on two key verses this morning, which I didn't get to last week, which is uh, verses 13 and 14. But let me pick up some summary points, what we talked about. Uh, We talked about that we have already, past tense, been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. They've already been made available to us in Christ. Uh, We talked about our inheritance and how it begins with our understanding that we are sons and daughters of the living God. And that supersedes the fact that we were born of blood, that we were born in our parents' home, and that we were born of flesh. It supersedes that. When we are born again, and if you haven't been born again, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. But when we are born again, God makes us first sons and daughters of the living God, and that trumps everything else that we are. We saw that our inheritance is on this earth. Yes, we have a life, an eternal life with him that extends into the future and into forever. But we saw that the inheritance Paul is talking about and teaching through Ephesians applies to our life today on this planet now. So the kingdom of God is not just futuristic. It has a component that is and a fullness that is, but it began 2,000 years ago with the coming of Christ. We also saw that the root cause of so much sin that people get entrapped in is really coming from our attempts to meet our own needs to feel loved and or comforted. So, so many things people turn to are seeking a comfort that God has made available to us in so many different ways. And we finished off saying that we are the hope of the world. The hope of planet Earth, of course, is God. Of course, is the Holy Spirit. But the hope of planet Earth made so clear in Romans 8 is that God's people empowered by the Holy Spirit, will rise up right here, right now, and be an expression of his kingdom into every sphere of life. That is the hope of this planet. That's what Revelation 17 through to 22 says will be birthed in its fullness before the Lord returns. Now, I don't understand what all of that means and what all of that's going to look like, but the planet cries out for us the sons and daughters of the living God, to raise up and be who God's called us to be here on this planet. So what I want to look at, let's go to the text. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed, that's an important word, in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So what we need to understand that we have been sealed. What does sealed mean? Well, firstly, most of us understand that the role of the Holy Spirit is to enable and empower us to achieve the purposes of God. We cannot do it in our own strength. We have to apply ourselves. We have to make ourselves available. And the skills and abilities that we have are not to be minimized. But 
they are not sufficient to be an expression of the kingdom of God into every arena of life that we've been called to do. We must have the Holy Spirit working within us, empowering us, and calling us to this work. So what the Holy Spirit has sealed in us, according to Romans 8, and I'm not going through all of that passage. It's a whole teaching in itself, and I want to stay in Ephesians. But what is it sealed? What the Holy Spirit has sealed in us is the conviction or the assurance that God has an inheritance available to us. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit is constantly assuring you and I that there is an inheritance to us. It's not just about salvation. It is about the work and the plans and the purposes of God that we're called to achieve on this planet. He is constantly assuring us right here, right now, that this is is the state, the place we have been called to and the place we live in. So his purpose through us And I know this all sounds big, and I will endeavor to break it down uh, again today. But his purpose through us is to bring a unified cosmos, a unified world order, a unified created order upon this planet. And that's what the work of the kingdom of God is all about. So the Holy Spirit right here, right now, in your lives today is working to build a culture on this planet that brings all things into harmony with the purposes of God. Now, is that a big picture? Sure, it's huge. It stretches over more than 2,000 years now. But there's keys in it that cannot happen until you and I put our hand up for this mission, and I will focus on that this morning. See, it's not just about people, as if that wasn't hard enough. In fact, that's probably the biggest challenge. It's also about the animal kingdom. It's also about the systems and structures of the world, such as economics and justice. It's also about ecology and the whole things that knit all the harmony of society together. And the list goes on. But these activities are what marks the believers, the sons and daughters of the living God, as God's people. And they are vital for Christianity to continue on this planet. And I know it will. We've read the last page in the book. I know it will. But it doesn't just happen. What keeps Christianity functioning properly on this planet is not just God and the Holy Spirit. Now, take them out, and it's all lost, obviously. It's you and me. The Scriptures teach that what keeps this planet going is the sons and daughters of the living God who know what God is about and get in harmony with Him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and produce it in their everyday lives. That's what keeps this planet going. You take all the believers off this earth, and that brings us into some interesting eschatology, and God forbid I go there right now, You take all the believers off this earth, guys, this planet collapses. We are the infrastructure that keeps it going. 
So in regard to our inheritance, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Well, firstly, he has to get you and me to know that we are the sons and daughters of the living God, not just that we're saved, although a wonderful blessing of Christianity is we don't have to wait till the end of our life to find out whether we're saved or not. We can know right here, right now, today. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you've never given your life, To Jesus Christ, you don't know that, but we'll give you an opportunity to discover it. So we are constantly assured by the Holy Spirit that we will be an eternal life with Christ. But it's more than that. He he puts us into the process of transformation, including the renewing of our minds, so that we can be like God, think like God, and act like God in our everyday life. And the minute we get on this journey, we begin to transform the whole planet because the planet cannot help but get transformed when the people, the sons and daughters of the living God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just release them to be an expression in their everyday life. So this doesn't have to be rocket science. Although if you're called to go off to NASA and Be involved in all of that. May God be with you. That's a good, valid calling. But this is right down into our everyday life. And brothers and sisters, that's where the power is. That's where the power is. So what we're saying is that this assurance is available to us all. And if you're not receiving it, do a health check on your life. How much time are you spending in contact with God? How much time are you spending in praise and worship to him? How much time are you spending reading his word? And how much time are you being influenced by the world around you and the people in it, which can pull us right away from the plan and the purposes of God? Now, getting to this place doesn't just require revelation, although it's a lost cause without it. It requires knowledge. We learn of the promises and purposes of God. And the best place to learn of them is soaking ourselves in God's word. As we pray and meditate on these promises, a firm and steady conviction grows within us. And it replaces any opposing doubt. If we are constantly filled with doubt about these things, the enemy will have a field day with us and we will not achieve the purposes of God. So unless we get to embrace this process, we're not going to get there. We have to settle these issues before we can move on. Now I want to talk very briefly about experiences. As you all know, I started my life as a good charismatic. I still am. I thank God every day for coming into the kingdom at that time and experiencing what I experienced. And for all those of you that were involved in it and had input into my life, I thank you as well. So part of the relationship with the Holy Spirit is experiential and it's meant to be experiential and I desire it to be experiential not only for me but for everybody else in Christ. I desire that and feel sorry for people when it's not. Doesn't mean they're not saved but I think they're missing something. However, we need to understand that Paul warns us 
that we cannot make experiences the foundations of our faith. They are just not reliable enough. And attempts to do this frequently result in us going off track because our mind deceives us and we begin to create our own deity, our own God and our own image and then we start saying he's doing all sorts of strange things in our lives. See, that's why Paul warns us in Colossians 2.18. He says, do not be defrauded. By taking your stand on visions you have seen inflated without cause by your fleshly mind. There is one thing that I have learned in this journey that I have been on with Christ is not to trust all my thoughts. I have to take them captive. And the only way I can take them captive is to bring them back to God's word and say, is this really God or isn't it? So I want to move on. That's just a very brief look at the role of the Holy Spirit in that realm. But I want to move on and talk about us being an inheritance to the world. See, if the church is inheritance to the world, if it is the salt and light to the community, as Jesus said it was, so I believe him, if its mandate is to bring redemption or a measure of redemption to planet Earth and to build a whole new culture, what does that mean to us on an everyday basis? How do we create culture or bring redemption to planet Earth? Now, I want to try and get practical here. See, here is one of my problems, and I confess it, and plenty of wonderful people here remind me in a a very helpful way to me of this. My view is this, that if I come here and put out the concepts and the principles, everybody will run off home, look at their own life, and apply the practice. Now, basically, that's what I do. That doesn't say I'm great or clever. But I have come to learn over the years, and I am a slow learner, that it doesn't quite work that way. So that's why we need home groups. And that's why we need groups of believers meeting together around God's word and fleshing it out. I don't consider that's all of my role on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching and teaching. I really don't. If I'm doing a seminar, weekend seminar, things which I do a lot overseas, yes, I have a responsibility then to begin to work it down. I don't particularly feel, and and you can disagree, and that's fine, that that's what I'm meant to be about here on a Sunday morning. But this morning... I am going to give you a few practical examples just to at least go home and say, well, I did. So let's pick up. What does this big message mean to a young mum at home with her children? What can she do with this message? Well, the first thing, and I've never been a young mum at home with kids, but I have been a young dad and I am now a hands-on granddad with eight grandchildren and another one coming. So I do have some experience. Firstly, except right now, if you're a young mum or if you're a young dad at home with the kids, much of what you learn from God will not come from hours and hours of Bible study and prayer and fasting because those things are not 
really available or applicable right now. Most will come from the demands of being at home with a little one or a number of them and discovering where God's design is in that child and what that brings out of you. There is a huge revelation of the nature and character of God right there. But it doesn't stop there. But what I would say to you is ask God every day for the capacity, not only to meet the constant demands and my goodness, can kids produce them? They don't care if you don't really feel like it right now. That's not on their radar at all. Ask God every day for the capacity not only to meet the command, but to see what it is you are really producing. See, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord. This is called the Shema for many of you who like that sort of thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, most of my grandchildren can quote that passage. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. See, here's something that I say, and I'm moving back from being a young mum, but I'll come back to that. Don't invite me to your house if we have to have an evening when we can't talk about God because I can't do it. I love the rugby. I watched it last night and yelled and screamed and uh, Linda reminded me that I have to preach tomorrow so I better protect my voice. I love all those things. I'm a typical Kiwi male. I love having fun. I love doing all that sort of stuff. But somehow the love of God just keeps trumping over all of that and I can't stop talking about him and his kingdom. I'm not going to ask you to forgive me. I'm just saying that if you're not into talking of all these things when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, don't get around me because I'll bore you silly. See, part of a Christian mother's responsibility in equipping and training her children is to explain and embody the character and the holiness of God into that child. And it's not about rules and regulations, although we have to have some of them. It's about bringing a young person into understanding the father's heart. A whole portion of the world's future is in your child. And God has put a vote of confidence in you to produce it. Isn't that amazing? The thing I felt the most least prepared to or qualified for in my whole life was being a dad. I loved my kids, and I still do, and wanted so much for them. I never felt qualified for it. But guess God himself put his vote of confidence in me to raise at least two children, my son and my daughter. And he said, Bruce, what you need, I've given you, and what you don't feel you don't have, come to me and I'll give you that as well. So everybody who has a child, congratulations, Roy. Being a dad again. 
Everybody who has a child. God said, I have my vote of confidence is that you can raise that child in the ways of the Lord. That's amazing that God would vote for you in that place. So what separates us from other parents? Because there's many wonderful parents who don't know Jesus. Many of them. What separates us is that we can go to the throne room of God and say, Father, show me the design of this child that you have put in this child so I can get in step with you to raise up this child in the way you intended him or her to be. That's what's unique about us as Christian parents. And not only when God gives us that, are we left to produce it? But he gives us that with the power of the Holy Spirit to work it through through us and through the children. Is it easy? Of course it's not. I think it's the hardest task of life. But he's chosen you and me to do this and he wants these children equipped to go out into the work and into the uh, real world and make a difference. And that is really important. What a wonderful privilege that we have and what a great assurance that God has promised us and all of that he will be with us. Amen. If you're a parent, you can say amen. Get a little bit excited about that. Okay, second point, a person in their workplace. If you are the only believer in your place of work, guess what? You have the highest calling there. You hold the office of priest, and you are the only person, if you are the only believer, in that whole place of work that holds the office of priest. You are the representative of the living God in your place at work. And you have direct access to God for your organization and nobody else except other believers have that. Now, we should wake up on a Monday morning and say, Lord, I feel the burden of being your priest your holy person in this organization and having access to your throne room, talking to you about this job and finding out from you what it is that you want to achieve here through me. If there are problems going on with the staff, go in an hour earlier and pray over their desks and chairs. My son Carl, who many of you know, works as a consultant for many different companies, so I can talk about this without it shining any specific light anywhere. So he comes around and we're talking about some problems that he is having in a particular contract in a a place in Wellington where he's working. Now, he's a clever guy. He has a lot of skills. He'd applied all of these skills, but it still wasn't fixing the problem. So we talked about it, and I said, Carl, here's what we need to do. Jump in the car. Have you legally allowed to go in there and take me with you? He says, sure, sure. I've got 24-hour access to the building. That's no problem. So it's Sunday night. So we jump in the car. 
We drive into Wellington. We go into that office. There is nobody there. And we go up to the areas where the problems are happening and the people with the problems are happening. And we pray over the desks and we pray over the chairs and we take authority over the principalities and powers. And we have a time of worship and we call down the spirit of the living God into that organization. Guess what? Problem solved. It's finished. Goes into work the next day. Everything has changed. Everything has shifted. Now, we can say, well, that's a great thing because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, which we are. I do want to say he did everything he needed to in the natural because the scriptures tell us first the natural, then the the spiritual. But listen to this, brothers and sisters. We went in there as the holy priests in that place of employment. We went in there by divine design that God has put them in there just as you are in your place of work by divine design and you are the priest there. You have access to the throne room of God there. You can call down the power of God there. But let me tell you, in most cases, it will not happen unless you begin to do it. Why? Because God has delegated this authority to you and he will not usurp it as a master delegator until you say, I need you, come in here and be involved. For every workplace represented by the people in this room, we can change those places overnight. Because that workplace now has a priest. That workplace now has a representative of the living God with an expression of his kingdom and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit to come in and make a difference. There's the kingdom of God right there, brothers and sisters, right there. Now, that's something every employee, and if you have your own business, same principles, slightly different concept, same principles. There it is right there. Wow, all these people, I don't know how many are here this morning, 150 people. My gosh, in a week or two weeks, we can affect a whole heap of marketplace arenas just by doing that. Now, please don't break into your building if you're not allowed there and cause a whole lot of problems. Ask God how you get around that problem. See, this is what we're about. Okay, let's come back to the let's come to a wider community. We may not all be William Wilberforce, as if you know who he is. He's the guy who liberated um, the slaves and slavery from England. But there's a small Christian group. I want to go and visit it next time I'm in Melbourne. It set up an unusual cafe called Solace, S-O-L-A-C-E. You'll find it on the web. It celebrates what it calls the way of every day in people or who com- in companies who make some impact in their world or do something around people or whatever. So it explores the newspapers and what's going on and gets people around the culture and, it's, and it finds companies that have done something significant that's good for Melbourne, good for the people, good for their employees, whatever. It finds good things. Most of these places are, of course, non-Christian. And then out they go and they create a celebration 
and say, we've heard you guys are doing this. We think that is great. They put it up in their cafe. They invite the leaders and the people who have initiated it, come down and have a free cup of coffee. We just want to celebrate what you're doing. And every week they put up a new company and a new situation. These are Christians out in the real world celebrating good things non-Christians are doing. Fantastic. It's having a huge impact. You know, it was started by six people having a huge impact. Because instead of being the don't people or the no people that we as Christians are often accused of, or instead of standing on the sideline saying this world's all going to hell and we're getting off it, they are going out there and finding people who are doing things that show an expression of God even though they don't know Jesus and they're celebrating them publicly. Amazing thing to be doing. They're not knocking the world, they're celebrating the goodness in it. See, all these testimonies, and I could go on, but there's better people here in this room than me than to pick up the practice of what's happening. There's great things happening in this place, and sometimes I don't think we celebrate that enough. Many people in this room are doing amazing things. A lot of them now I don't even know and a lot of us don't know. But let, So I'm shifting off that. But let me just say this because I'm moving towards the end. We have to shift our thinking in the kingdom of God that our primary role is being problem solvers. See, Romans 8, 20 to 21 says, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery into corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then it goes on to say what I've quoted a lot, that it's crying out for this and waiting for us. But let me share something that hopefully may help all of us here. We need to understand that God's focus is not about sin. God is not a sin-focused being, not in any way at all. God's focus has and is and always will be about finding people who are plugged into his creative power and are making a difference. See, this means that our primary function is not to be problem solvers. Should we be problem solvers? Sure. But that is not the issue. We are meant to be creating something. We are called to create. Our whole DNA is about creating. Frequently when people come along and say, I just love being a problem solver, well, my question is, what are you creating? Because if we are in the Father's image, the first thing we are is creators. Too often we just see the problems and the obstacles and everything, and this is the very mindset that caused the people of Israel to fail to enter the promised land at their first attempt and spend 40 years in the wilderness. If we just see problems and obstacles, we are just going to go round and round in the wilderness and we're never going to enter the promised land of our inheritance. God, first and foremost, is a creator. 
And we're made in his image. We're put on this planet to create something, to build something, to make something, to establish something. The whole basis of the resurrection, which we've done too little on, in my opinion, and I embrace the cross with all my whole heart, but it has two aspects. It's not just the death. It's also the resurrection and it's the ascension, but let's not make all this too complicated. We have not talked enough about the resurrection, which is about new life. I'm looking for new life everywhere. I'm always asking God in every situation I'm in, not where are the problems, not what are the obstacles. I'm always saying, Father, where's the new life here? What new life can I bring into this situation? What new life can I bring into this organization? What new life can I bring into this marriage or this family? See, the world needs to see new ways of doing marriage. They need to see new ways of doing family, new ways of parenting, new ways of working and running a business, new ways of bringing unity and justice, and new ways of providing for the poor and the underprivileged. Actually, they're not really new ways. Isaiah 58 verse 12 says, come back to the ancient paths. But they're the ways of the Father and they bring new life. See, the whole thing, and I know I've shared this before and time's running out. The whole thing why um, the fifth commandment says, honor your mother and father, and it doesn't give us a list of how to do it, is because God just says, go and be creative in the way you honor your mother and father. Do it any way you like. Just do it. And sometimes I think, well, we want a 20-page manual. Please give me the ways I... No, just go and bless them and be creative with the Holy Spirit within you and how you're going to honor them. The Scripture says, we're back to Ephesians. I had to get back there sooner or later. The Scripture said, Ephesians 5, says to husbands, love your wife. Well, Lord, how do I love my wife? Bruce, just... Go and do it. Be creative. Surprise her. Plug into the Holy Spirit. Talk to your friends. But the way someone else um, uh, loves their wife may not work for Linda. But see, this is the joy of being creative. We can come up with new things and new ways all the time. See, here's the problem with the world. They're trying very hard to fix things. They really are. There's people all over this planet trying very hard to fix things. But they lack the wisdom, the insight, and listen to this, they lack the creative power that comes from the Holy Spirit, that comes from those who have access to the throne room of God and have spent time in there and then bringing those things out to to the world at large. Will that solve problems? Yes, but that's not what God's about. He wants to raise up something new and exciting and invigorating and life-filled, and we won't have to worry about how many people come in these doors, and we won't have to continually be taking more and more chairs out of this, this auditorium. We're going to have to fill it right to the back. 
if we're making that sound and producing that in the real world. So, I have to finish. There is, how do we do all this? There is no one set way, but I'm going to give you the one way that's close. Mark 4, verse 30 and 31 says this, and he said, this is Jesus, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? Now, that's what they were asking, but he, he is now sitting down talking to them. And he says this, so here's the most practical piece of advice I can give you. It's like a mustard seed. When sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. There's Jesus' own definition. Simply, he is saying this, the Holy Spirit can do the most amazing, life-changing seeds with even a tiny contribution from us. There's the kingdom of God right there. There's the answer right there to building something new on planet Earth. Just do something tiny. Just do something small. And the Holy Spirit has the power to change lives, to change matter, to change the sphere around us just through that. Isn't that amazing? That takes a lot of burden off our shoulders, brothers and sisters. Don't ever despise the little things you are doing. You have no idea the kingdom of God runs on the ripple effect. It just goes out and out and out to whatever degree God wants to take it. So, Very little of any of this is ever going to work or be achieved in our lifetime if two things are not in place and are ever increasing. Number one, and I've already said it, we have to be people of the word. We have to be soaked and immersed in scripture. See, I am tired of the debates and the arguments, and I can get a bit ugly around this, about the issue that should we read our Bibles every day? So let me answer it so you don't have to ask me anymore. No, but ignore it at your peril. See, I love playing golf. I'm not playing golf at the moment. I'm trying to get my uni degree finished. But here's why I'm not playing golf. Because I have played golf at a reasonable level and I enjoy playing well and I can't do that unless I practice. I have time to go and play golf, but I don't have time to practice. Now, if you come up to me and say, can I play golf but never have to practice? And I say, sure. If you just want to hack around the course, dig big holes in the ground, bend your clubs, get frustrated, never see anything, sure, sure, go for it. You can do Christianity the same way. Do you have to read your Bible every day? No. God's not asking you to do that. No one's commanding that you do that. So you can just wander around digging holes and falling over and making blunders, or you can show up to practice, play well, and enjoy the game. Because in God's game, everybody has a part to play. Everybody is given a most wonderful, adventure-filled assignment. It's not about salvation, 
But if you won't show up for training, he'll let you sit in the grandstand and watch, but he ain't putting you on the field and the game of play because it's too dangerous and you are ill-equipped and you can't produce what he wants, even though it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, do you have to read your Bible every day? If you want to get on the playing field for the big game, yes. Yes, you do. And you've got to think about it and meditate on it. And you've got to pray and you've got to worship. And am I preaching legalism? No, I'm not. If you just enjoy sitting in the grandstand, be God's guest. But again, I want to be at the end of my life where Satan will say, doesn't matter what I tried, that guy just kept pushing on into the purposes of God. You can write that on my gravestone if you want. However, it's got to be true. I'm not there yet. Second point, we must embrace true discipleship. We have to shift from damage control. We have to shift from cleaning up sin in our lives and moving into a place where what we are about is maturing in him. We can't live our life every day talking about and focusing on the sin and the entrapments in our life because sin's something that gets in the way of us and God and his purpose and his calling for us, so he wants to remove it. But we're not about sin, brothers and sisters. We're about growing up in Christ because here is the problem we are going to have to go from mana to fruit and I'm going to finish here and then we're going to set up for a time of prayer ministry we have to go from mana to fruit what is mana? that's when God pours down his blessing his abundance, his provision upon us, that's great but it was only for a time and a purpose, he expected his people to become fruitful why? because the job that God has for us to do cannot be done by babies Galatians 4, I've preached on it before. There's heaps of preaching that I've done on it. Galatians 4, all that God has to us, for us is held with managers and custodians until we become mature enough to handle it. And it's important that we understand that. We have to stop looking to God to do everything for us and begin to use the power he has given us and start doing something with it ourselves to produce the inheritance he wants to see on this planet. And that should be exciting. It should be exciting. I loved raising my kids but it was a greater joy for me to go with Carl and go with Marie, many times we have, into people's places and places of ministry and see them move prophetically, see them move in God's power, seeing them express God's wisdom, and I can be alongside them and enjoy that. Being with them as two-year-olds was fun, but I let me tell you, that for me is the highlight because they're now standing before God and impacting this planet. And that's what a lot of the training that Vanessa and I put into them was focused towards. In a minute, I'm going to ask the leaders to come up, the ministry team to come up, the worship team to come up, and we're going to have a time of ministry. But listen to me carefully. One of the things 
that I am offering for people to come forward to. And Wim and Bev, if you feel to do that, it would be absolutely amazing to have you down the front. They are a greatly anointed couple ministering. You probably can't say no after that. See, if you have been held in bondage by demonic bondages or family curses and you've never been prayed for before around this stuff, come forward. And I'm not just limiting this to women, Bev, but they have a huge anointing in that area. But listen, don't come down, please, if you've been prayed for before in those areas. Because what we're saying is, well, the Holy Spirit, you failed last time, so I'm going to give you another shot. No, that's not the problem. See, as I've said, God wants us to grow up, and he has work for us to do that cannot be done by baby. So listen to me. If you've been prayed for before around these areas and you're still struggling, it's not prayer you need, it's tools. You need tools on how to renew your mind. You need tools on how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You can ask someone down here for prayer for those things. You can't ask them to unfold them all now. That requires sitting down with you, spending time with you, counseling and pastoral work. We can't do that on a Sunday morning. I don't constantly want to have people coming up and praying for the same old thing over and over again because I know what the problem is. God says, I've done my bit, now you've got to go and do yours. And I want us to be people right here in this congregation who know how to do our bit before God, not only to walk out of our stuff, but become, to become mature and creative. And we can't do that by keeping revisiting the skeletons in our closet. It doesn't work. Second point, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, you come today and begin the most exciting adventure that life has to offer. And people down the front will help you for that. If you've let the things of the world, the disappointments and disillusionment choke your love of Christ, and you can come this morning and make a commitment to whoever is down the front to put the Lord back in the center of your life. Just understand you've made a beginning. Now you have to go home and work it through. And last point. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you have never been impacted by the power of God to achieve the purposes he's called you to in your life, you come forward too and people will pray for you for that. Can I have the worship team up, please? And if I can have the leaders here and come across the front. You go to whoever the Holy Spirit leads you to go to. And you allow these people to minister to you in the faith Christ, if we can have the leaders, the ministry team, as the worship team starts, if you come down. Now, I'm not going to prolong this. In fact, I'm going to leave and go back and sit down and put this meeting back in the hands of whoever and whatever. But don't miss the opportunity to come and be ministered to and begin another important aspect of your journey. So let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for the whole of creation. And Lord, most of it you expect to be done through us. Lord, I just simply pray, further equip people again this morning to go out and express your glory and your love 
and your priesthood that you've given us in every arena of life, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys.